Welcome back to another episode of Rolling with the Punches. I know it's been a little bit longer than our typical wait for a new episode, but this one is totally worth the wait. I must say that this episode, maybe more than any other episode that I've recorded, has really given me more insight and taught me more than I've learned from any other episode. It has floored me the complexities and the layers that exist in this topic, and I'm so happy to share this interview with you. Our guest for this episode chose to be anonymous, um, perhaps for reasons that you'll understand when you listen to the episode. However, he did want to make sure that people still reach out to him um, and get in touch with him if they like to speak to him. So if anyone would like to be connected with our speaker, feel free to send an email to rolling with the punches podcast at gmail.com and play another. I will put you guys in touch. Additionally, this was our guest's first time sharing his story. Um, and so you may hear some of the emotion in his delivery. Anytime someone comes in and shares a story for the first time, there's a certain element of courage that is there. So I want to once again, thank our guest for coming on and sharing his story with us. In this episode, we have partnered with From Adoptee. FromAdoptee.com is a website that is creating a support group for From Adoptees to be able to connect with one another, provide support for one another, and really share a shared experience with each other and be there for one another within the From community. So to find out the work that they're doing, look them up at From Adoptee. Dot com, and I will post the ways to reach them in the show notes. Additionally, there is a From Adoptee WhatsApp group, which also you can access by emailing fromadoptee at gmail.com. This WhatsApp group is designed for other adoptees in the From community to be able to connect and network with one another and is an amazing support for the Orthodox community. After conducting this interview and doing a little bit of research on adoption in general, I really became emotionally attached to this topic and recognizing so much of the emotional complexities that exist. Um, and I would love to do more episodes on stories of adoption, both from adoptees, as well as I would really love to interview parents, adopted parents, um, and understand their perspective of what it's like to raise an adopted child and what that whole process is like. So if you or somebody you know has a story from the perspective of an adopted parent, please reach out to us at rollingwiththepunchespodcast at gmail.com. We would love to have you on to be able to share your perspective as well. As always, we love getting your emails and feedback and reading your reviews and continuing to grow this podcast. So please, if you enjoy this episode, or think that somebody else could benefit from it, please share it with them um, and help spread our work. Please leave a review, comment, spread, and share. Do all the things that you can to help expand our mission here as we really do hope to reach more and more people. Lastly, there was a little bit of a delay on the Zoom interview. This took place across countries, so I did work my best to try and edit the episode um, to make it as smooth as possible. I also inserted a couple of questions that I had after that were done through voice notes, so just um, 
bear in mind that. And also on that topic, um, due to the fact that I do most of the editing myself, if anyone would like to come on to the Rolling With The Punches team as an editor, a video editor, if you have experience in any of those areas, feel free to send us an email at rollingwiththepunchespodcast at gmail.com. One of the things that I like to do in preparing for these episodes is not only provide research-based information about various topics, but also to try and find hashkafa and direction from the Torah in terms of what's the Torah's perspective on each of the topics that we cover. And so I'd like to share a couple of ideas that I found on adoption that I think are really powerful and are important for people in this parsha to hear. The Sefer Penine Halacha brings down a couple of ideas about adoption. The first one he quotes is a Gemara Megillah. The Gemara Megillah tells us that anyone who raises an orphan, whether a, a male or female orphan in their house, the Torah considers it as if you raised him. And the Mepharshim explain that it's not specifically just referring to a Yasom, someone who lost a parent or their parents passed away, but included in this is also a child that has parents, but he doesn't know them or they weren't able to take care of him. Right, That is the same as a Yasom. They're treated like a Yasom. And therefore, someone who takes care of that child, it's viewed as if they themselves gave birth to them. Some of the poskim, mainly the Chachma Shlomo, actually takes this idea so far as to say that a couple that raises an adopted child can actually be Mekayim, the mitzvah of Pru Uruvu, right? And that is actually the meaning of the Gemara where it says, Malalava Kasev Kitli There is a certain element of parenthood. Right, And obviously, you'll hear from our interview, and you'll hear from all the stories you know how important that relationship is, that parent relationship to the child, even if it's not a biological relationship, but it certainly is a parent-child relationship. And lastly, just for people to understand what a great schus it is, there is a medrash in Shemos Rabbah that says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has an a special otzer, a special treasure house that's filled with the reward for tzaddikim. And specifically in that otzer, there's a special treasure house, otzer miyuchad, lamatan schar lamagadim liyasomim vesam. There's a special treasure house with the most special reward, specifically given to those who raise yasomim, who raise, again, children that do not have parents that are there to look out for them. So we should all take from this and understand what a great schus it is, what a great opportunity it is to be able to help orphans, children that do not have parents or don't know their parents, or their parents didn't have the ability to take care of them, that it is such an important obligation and an important opportunity for all of us to look out for those Yasomim, to look out for those people who may need someone to look after them who may need someone to support them, who may need someone to raise them. We should all be Zoha to be more open to these opportunities and to avail ourselves in whatever way we can to help be Magadal as many as possible. 
when I covered the topic of Bali Chuva, I did an introduction on the life story of Rabbi Akiva, who was a Bal Chuva. He started off as someone who was known to hate the Torah and despise the Torah and obviously became one of the greatest Tanayim that we know. And so too in every challenge, we should look to the Torah to find a figure, a character who could provide us inspiration in dealing with a specific Nisayon. And of course, the figure that is that comes to mind when it comes to adoption is the great Amora Abaya. Abaya's story is an absolute chizuk and should give so much strength and encouragement to any person that feels like they have an unfair start in life or that they're in situations that are much more difficult than anyone else's. And Abaya, his legacy is, he is one of the most quoted Amorayim in all of the Gemara. There's not a single Mesechta where Abaya's name isn't mentioned. And he has about roughly over a thousand memras in all of Shas. Now Abaya was an individual who never saw his parents. His father died before he was born. And his mother died, as the Gemara in Kedushin says, that Abaya's mother died in childbirth. So what happened to Abaya? He was adopted by his uncle, Rabbi Bar Nachmeni, and his uncle raised him and took care of him and provided him with the education that he needed. And his uncle also made sure that he had a mother figure, a wise and compassionate nursemaid that took care of him. And it's this nursemaid who did her utmost to try and help out Abaya and make sure that he lived the life of Torah. And Abaya viewed this nursemaid as his mother. And many times in the Gemara, Abaya says that my mother taught me this. Amra li aim. And he was always referring to not his biological mother, not the mother that gave birth to him, but this nursemaid who taught him so many different ideas and lessons in life that allowed him to succeed. Many of the Rishonim actually debate and dispute what was Abaya's real name. Abaya is an unusual name. In fact, sometimes in the Gemara, he's called Nachmeni. So there are different explanations given. Some say that although his real name was Abaya, his uncle Rabba, who named him, called him Nachmeni after Rabba's own father. Others say that his actual name was Nachmeni, but Rabba wanted to call him something else because he didn't want to call his adopted child after his father. So instead he called him Abaya. And others say that Abaya is actually an acronym Rashi Tevos for Asher Bechay Yerucham Yasom, which means that it's in you that the orphan finds mercy, or others say it's the acronym of Av Hashem, that he had no biological father that he had a relationship with. His father was a Kaddish Baruch Hu. His father was the Rabboni Shalom. And of course, how important this idea is for every Yasom to know, for every adopted child to know, whether they question who really is my father, Every child, every human being, every yid needs to know that we all have a father. We all have a father who loves us and cares us, and that is our Av Hashem. One of the most famous machlokas in between Abaya and Rava, who Abaya often argued with, is the sugya in Bava Metziah about Yia Shalomidas. And Abaya's life epitomized his shita here, where he said, Yia Shalomidas 
lo hava yish, right? There's no such thing as giving up. And Abaya's life, in the clearest of ways, symbolizes this idea of lo hava yish, that there's no such thing as giving up. When Abaya was very young, he was very, very poor, and he suffered from a variety of different physical ailments. And later on in his life, he was wealthy. He owned many things. He owned many fields. He was influential. He was the exact opposite of what any person would have assumed his life would have come to. It is my hope and my bracha that all listening can gain the chizik that Abayah's life shows us. That lo hava yish, that there's no such thing as giving up, and that no matter how difficult someone's life seems, there's the ability to persevere, and there's a strength inside of us that Hashem wants to see us tap into and to make Hashem as proud as we possibly can. May we be zocha that there's no more tsar in all of Kla Yisrael, that there's no more yusomim, and that everyone in Kla Yisrael is taken care of and feels like they are living in a safe and stable environment. I hope you guys enjoy. Oh, you're so tall, dark, and handsome, my grandmother uh, said to me. So I, being a teenager, I made a joke. And I said, uh, Ima and Abba aren't tall, so I must be adopted. I was, I was like completely joking. Um, apparently I made jokes like this before. And basically my sister-in-law started freaking out. Um, I didn't know why she was freaking out. Adoption is not just about finding children for families. It's about finding families for children. Prior to this interview, I thought I knew all I needed to know about adoption. This interview, perhaps more than any other I've done previously, has taught me about how complex and layered the world of adoption could be. Around 140,000 children are adopted by American families each year. 62% of adoptions take place within a month of the birth of a child. Experts estimate that between 1 and 2 million couples are waiting to adopt a child. Every year there are about 1.3 million abortions, and only 4% of women with unwanted pregnancies place their children through adoption. There are over 100,000 foster children eligible for and waiting to be adopted. The average age of a waiting child is 7.5 years old, and 29% of them will spend at least 3 years in foster care, waiting to be adopted. Adoptees can experience a wide range of emotions related to their adoption. Many report a close relationship with their adoptive families, and they feel as if they always belonged. Some say that they feel grateful to their adopted parents for the life they provided them. On the other hand, many adopted children and adults share challenges with their identity formation or feelings of abandonment related to their being adopted. They may feel as if they don't truly fit in with their adoptive families and may wonder what their life would be like if they hadn't been adopted. Similarly, many adoptees who are raised in closed adoptions desire to find and meet their birth families. Others, however, find that they have no interest in doing so, and they're happy with the familial relationships that they have. Some adoptees have negative views of adoption, often as the result of trauma or other negative experiences. A small number of adoptees even advocate against adoption entirely. Aside from the plethora of emotional challenges that come along with adoption, there are also a number of halachic challenges that present themselves. 
In this episode, we will hear all about these details and more from a courageous young man who has been on a journey of discovering who he is, despite not always knowing where he came from. Welcome to Rolling with the Punches, the podcast where we speak with individuals who have overcome adversity in order to learn about their experiences and provide support to those who are facing similar challenges. We hope you enjoy. It's an absolute honor and pleasure to have with us an amazing individual who I've gotten to speak to a little bit. Um, he will be anonymous for this episode, but we are going to be speaking about his lived experience as an adopted child. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Okay. Awesome. Um, so maybe even before we kind of get into your story, maybe you can just provide for our audience. I know we discussed it a little bit. Um, you know, what went into your decision a of coming on to share your story? And also we had discussed a little bit about doing it either anonymously or not. Um, you know, what came into that ultimate decision, which we totally respect and understand. So for sure, there was no question I wanted to come on and share. Um, in terms of coming on anonymous, just, I mean, the story is a little bit, it's a hard story and it's a little bit, um, definitely sensitive for my family. So, you know, for my parents, for my brother. So out of respect to them and, you know, not wanting to get this too in their face, you know, just figured to take the name off it. Um, but I, that just because I'm anonymous and just because my name's not on this doesn't mean that uh, I don't want people to reach out because the whole point of this is for people to reach out to me and, you know, to start connecting, to start talking. I, I so much appreciate that. Um, and I so much appreciate your sensitivity to others. And in fact, I just had a conversation this week with one of my rebellion kind of about, you know, doing topics anonymously and not and what people can share for ideas of Lush and Hara, but also in terms of just thinking about how it impacts other people's. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely appreciate all the things that you're, you said. And I think also sometimes, you know, I've had uh, numerous discussions with people about this, uh, decisions about whether to come on privately or publicly. And sometimes they have this feeling like maybe it's, you know, it's weaker or I'm, or I'm ashamed on a certain level to do that. And I think that, um, two things. First of all, it's, it is a sign of strength to come on. However, you come on to share your story, um, and to kind of go through things that could have been difficult to relive. Um, and it, and it's not a sign of weakness at all. I think very often it's a sign of sensitivity. So I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. So maybe you could tell us, you know, I think a, a good place to start is maybe your earliest childhood memory. Can you share with us your earliest childhood memory? Wow. So, uh, Wow. I don't really have such a specific memory. I mean, I do remember, you know, like different times or like, I don't know, trying to think the earliest thing. Like I had my, or all my birthdays were in kids in action. Like when I was a kid, like my parents used to, you know, take all my friends. To kids that's so funny. That's, that's in Brooklyn, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's in Brooklyn. So, my son just went there on his trip yesterday for camp. Yeah. So that definitely... What's another memory? I remember the first time I went on a plane. I think I, I don't remember. Maybe I was eight or something. I was very, very scared to go on a plane. And my parents got me really big toys <laughs> to go on the plane. Like really big toys. So, right. I, I feel like it's just an interesting question 
A, because I'm very curious about your childhood in particular, um, being that yeah. it was, it's obviously a little bit different. But I think for everyone to kind of take a moment to think about what their earliest childhood memory is and why that's the first moment. You know, obviously there's elements of development um, where, you know, certain parts we forget and certain parts we don't, but also yeah. just in terms of perhaps something significant about that moment. Like for me, my earliest childhood memory I know is kind of my upsharing and probably it's because I've seen videos after that. I probably just right. remember watching those. Um, but like, if I think back to my earliest childhood memory, it'd probably be my upsharing and like what cake we had and things like that. So I just thought maybe there's something there in any event, maybe you could give us a sense of what your childhood is like, you know, but obviously before we get to, once you found out you were adopted, what was your childhood like? How would you describe it? So I was extremely loved. Uh, someone say spoiled. I mean, definitely, I was very spoiled. Um, my parents, yeah, treat like they spoiled me rotten. Um, also, I, I have one brother who's 12 years older than me. But being the that we were so far apart in age, um, by the time I was like 11, 12, you know, he was basically already out of the house. So, so my childhood definitely had an element of uh, like an only child. Interesting. Okay, gotcha. How how many years would you have spent together with your older brother? Um, so he was like twelve when I was adopted, and I mean, he was like out of the house already at like eighteen, nineteen, twenty. You know. Do you have any memories of the two of you together? You know, like almost kind of being able to um, see that interplay kind of between you and your parents. Um, not really such clear memories. Um, I do have pictures, but I don't really remember it so much. Maybe like, maybe one visiting day. That would be like a good memory. Uh, Mm -hmm. like all together. Um, was your brother a biological child of your parents? Yeah. So he was, he was a biological son of theirs. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and I mean, this is a hard question to answer, but do you feel like you ever treated differently as a child or maybe differently than your brother was? And maybe do you attribute that to the fact that you were adopted? Right. So, I mean, there's two, two separate questions in there. I'm answer the second one first, because I think that's more related to what we're talking about. But I was definitely treated way different than my brother. That is definitely, that's a big um, dynamic in our family. Um, like I was the spoiled one and I was like the quiet one. I was the, I don't know, you know, the easier one. My brother was a little bit not like that. Um, so, and so I think also because of the temperament and also because of the adoption, you know, like the adopted kid is, I mean, is like a chosen one, you know, like this is the son we were waiting for, for, all years. So there's definitely an element of both the temperament and also being like the, you know, the gift. Right. It's interesting, you know, cause I, I'm thinking like, you know, every child is a gift and very often parents wait for their biological child also. But, but I, I do hear what you're saying, meaning about, you know, perhaps an adopted kid, meaning a, a greater level of a Like we didn't have to, we didn't have to kind of make this decision because we did. We want to maybe, even feel like a little bit more um, responsible kind of to provide um, 
as much, you know, care and yeah. sensitivity as opposed to any sort of sense of pain. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree. I hear that. Like, like, like almost the, you know, the, the, the thought I'm thinking of is like, you know, if we watch like someone else's infant, you know, like we're a lot more careful, like no one touch the baby, no one come near here, you know, when it's our own child, you know, like you give it to the other child to hold, you know, like yeah. he gets a scratch. Okay. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll lick the wound. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that is an interesting dynamic. Um, maybe you can give us a, a couple more like concrete examples, maybe that you and your brother perhaps even like fleshed out in terms of how your childhood, how you were treated differently. I mean, I know there's one big difference that I'm thinking about now. Um, um, my brother would also, he would admit to this, but um, meaning my brother came to Israel also when he, for his gap year. Um, and he wanted to stay also. Um, and my parents didn't let him. They wanted him to come home. And I uh-huh. ended up staying for very long time i mean after a few years they weren't too happy either but for the first initial two three years you know they were they were they were good with it um i don't know if that's the difference you were looking for i don't know what i'm looking for you know kind of just exploring with you um what, what about like today meaning you're 27 you're married you have two kids we'll get to that um yeah. and your brother i'm assuming is also married yeah he's married yeah. and he has children as well yeah are there differences that you notice today that are different? Meaning whether it's how your parents interact with the grandkids um, or just even in, in daily interactions, do you think that there's a difference? Now, again, I, I know that there are a lot of factors that can affect or impact how parents interact based on temperament and other things like right. you pointed out. Um, also like a first child and, you know, becoming a parent for the first time. So there's definitely a lot of more factors. I don't want to attribute all of them to necessarily being adopted, but it, let's say today, do you, do you notice other differences or differences that are still in effect based on that? Um, a good question. I don't, very subtle. I wouldn't say that they're so, they're so jarring. So you had basically a, a, a relatively typical childhood, um, you grew up in Brooklyn, right? You went to, yeah. let's say, mainstream yeshivas. Um, and and all throughout this time, you had assumed, because why wouldn't you, that you were your parents' biological child? Yes. Yes. Okay. So so when did that change, and, and what was that process for you? So that changed um, in the summer, the end of 11th grade. Uh, June 10th, 2011, 2010, I don't know, 2010, 2011. Uh, I remember June 10th. Um, it was a normal, normal day. Um, I had just finished a final or something in school. Well, what school did you go to? What high school? Um, I went to Derech Torah. Got it. Okay. Brooklyn. I switched, whatever, but um, I graduated there. So I finished the final, and then my brother was married already. He had a kid, and my sister-in-law called me up, and she's like, oh, we're coming in Brooklyn, whatever. We're going to go visit grandma. Okay, like my grandmother, my father's mother, you know, very nice old lady, cute, amazing person. Um, Okay, fine, we're going to go visit grandma. So we go. And 
skipping to the next part of the story. Uh, my grandmother made some like comment, like some cute comment. I mean, it was, I don't remember exactly, but it was basically like, oh, you're so tall, dark, and handsome. My grandmother uh, said to me. So I, being a teenager, I made a joke. And I said, uh, Ima and Abba aren't tall, so I must be adopted. I was, I was like completely joking. Um, apparently, I'd made jokes like this before. And basically, my sister-in-law started freaking out. Um, I didn't know why she was freaking out, but um, yeah. Wow, that, that's such a powerful moment. It's kind of like you were just saying something kind of off the tip of your tongue, you know, like kind of yeah. our terminology, like people just speak, you know, straight. Yeah. And you just felt, you felt something in the air. Like that wasn't received the way I was intending yeah. it to. Yeah. Wow. So then, I mean, we could get into more of the specifics of the story soon, but um, my brother ended up coming in, you know, he was working and, Whatever my sister-in-law called him, and he came in, and yeah, basically we we sat down in his car, and after a few hours of just you know a lot of whirlwind and a lot of drama, and he like he said to me, he's like, ask me anything you want, and you'll get the truth. So I figured out what was going on by then. So I asked him, am I adopted? And he said yes. Um, and then like you know. Like in the movies, the music starts playing, but like the music did not start playing. Like nothing stopped, <laughs> you know, things just kept going. Wow. So that's the short version. Um, okay. So I want, I want to kind of slow this down a little bit and, and kind of take it apart a little bit. If you can kind of go back and I know it's hard, um, but to kind of go back into your mind and to your emotions at that moment from really when you first made that comment and you kind of felt something in the air, like that didn't sit well maybe you can give us just a greater glimpse into what you were feeling and thinking at that time. Well, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I want to say like survival. It was just like, you know, like surviving, like the storm, you know, like also there was an hour in between where like, I didn't really know what was going on. I just knew things were coming apart. You know, I just didn't know how they were coming apart. Um, so like, I don't know, survival, it's just like, you know, trying to, find some like semblance of normalcy you know like even making more jokes making more conversation i i kind of want to really understand kind of like i know it was a couple of hours but like what was happening during that time again like i think you sensed something from your sister-in-law but like did you follow up like what was going like if you can give us a little bit more of like a, a step-by-step there i mean i mean yeah I mean, obviously she didn't want to be the one to tell me. So that was something, you know, she needed, she wasn't going to be the one to tell me. Um, so, I mean, we, we basically got back in the car. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the way my parents reacted also. Um, yeah, as much as you could share, I would love to just kind of hear yeah. like how this yeah. unraveled because I, I feel like a, a large part of the trauma um, happens in these moments you know the way someone is told how someone is told what they're thinking when they're told you know the the person's experience at these moments is so important kind of in terms of how they process something like this yeah 
So it's actually funny. Um, so basically we got back, like we left my grandmother, I don't know, whatever, we said goodbye. No, I don't remember everything so clearly, but I think she took me to a, a music store. I played drums. She took me to a music store and like, she bought me drumsticks. <laughs> I was like trying to like, you know, make it all better. Um, like, all right. <laughs> for, for slipping up on a secret she wasn't supposed to share. Yeah. So also like we were, I, you know, I was also, I mean, this is a lot of the dynamics of, of what happened after that, but I was trying to like, you know, be there for her at the same time. Cause I knew she was also going through something. So I was joking and, you know, I was scared. Um, I think I even said to her, like, was I born a girl or something? Like, that's like some <laughs> weird thought that I had in my head, like for my whole childhood, like I was born a girl or something. I don't know. So, right. And then this was, this was before that was in fashion, that question. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, so, so it was like me taking care of the situation and, you know, me trying to, you know, figure out what was going on. Uh, I was definitely very scared. I was very scared. You know, I want to kind of just draw attention for a second, because I think that question that you had, I don't know if you expressed it verbally or not, but the fact that you even thought, like, was I born born a girl means that kind of part of the trauma here is it causes for you to question your entire reality and existence and everything you know. Yeah. 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 100%. Which, which like, as an 11th grader, you know, like, to even think, and again, I, I don't... I can only imagine, but like, are my parents really my parents? And like all the secure and important relationships that I have, I now have to like question, can I, is there anyone I can trust? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you can't, you know, the trust is, is broken after that. Um, wow. Oh my gosh. So, I, 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 it's like, I, I feel for you so much. Um, and again, I, I I can only imagine like what that must have been like for you in that process. So you you go to the music store. Your grandmother buys you drumsticks. You're thinking about just my everything. My oh, your sister in law. Okay. Yeah. Oh, she, had, had she already told you? No, 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 no. This was like in the middle. Got it. Let's just try and change the topic. He likes drums. Let's get him drumsticks. Maybe maybe we yeah. could like gloss this over. I mean, she was waiting for my brother to you know, like to come. So this is his, uh, she, she like thing. privately texted him on the side. Like you need to get over here. Yeah. I called her. Yeah. I called her yeah. and texted her and something. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, so then your brother kind of meets you. And again, I'm even yeah. from your mother, your brother's perspective. Like I'm thinking, you know, like what's going on here? Like how am I like, it's kind of unraveling here. Like, how do I handle this situation? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't I feel like he didn't really think it was unraveling. I mean, it definitely was unraveling for me. I don't, I don't think it was so much unraveling for him. Um, like, this is something he, that he had in his mind to do for a very long time. To, to share with uh, you, you're saying? This, yeah, and this is something he, he felt was right. Um, so... Um, yeah, <laughs> kind of, you know, the, I, I was, I was uh, overseen, you know, which is kind of a lot of the story. Take me through that discussion, conversation with your brother. Um, 
wasn't like much of a conversation. Um, I mean, we, we basically, we came to my parents' house and like we all came to my parents' house, like me, my sister-in-law, my brother, and my nephew. This, this is the conversation in the car though? Uh, almost, we're almost at the car, yeah. Okay. Um, so we got to my house and there was no one there. There was no one in my house. This is like also part of the, I guess the trauma of it. Um, my parents had left the house. Like my brother apparently had told them that it was happening and there was nothing they could do about it. So they left. Um, wow. This, this, this was a huge fight between my parents and my brother. Um, so just to clarify the the huge fight was always your parents kind of believed not to tell you and your brother felt that that wasn't fair to you. So he pushed, he wanted, yeah, yeah. Got it. Uh, amongst, I mean, there's many dynamics there. Um, but that was one of the main ones. So we went back into the car and we had that like small, I mean, trying to remember it. Hard to think back. Um, I mean, it was very, pretty much a very short conversation. Like, you know, ask me anything you want. I'll tell you the truth. Am I adopted? Yes. And then I just, wow. I kept, I kept moving with the questions. Like, you know, like who's my birth parents? Like, why they give me up? Like, what? Like, just those types of questions. Um. And then my father came home. Oh, so I, I want to slow yeah. down that conversation yeah. for a second. So, so when you asked, am I adopted? This is the first time you are hearing it directly. Yeah. No, no questions asked. This is kind of the reality. Did yeah. that change anything for you? Cause I know you were questioning it before and you were kind of like thinking about it, but no. to hear it yeah, very no, clearly. It, it changed. It changed. I mean, like I was saying before, like music is cute, you know, in the movie, like this is the bombshell. You know, I was not expecting that. Wow. You know. Um, so it's interesting because you, you went straight to kind of like, what's the next question? You know, like, who are my adopted parents? Um, you know, like, I, I'm wondering, you know, it just sounds like everything was moving so fast. And like, but again, I want to try and slow this down a little bit. Um, yeah. What was going through your, what was going through your mind? Like, what were you feeling? I guess like betrayed was like a type of word um, I was feeling. Um, also like, like it was a new, it was a new vista, you know, like it was a new way to be, a new sense of reality, you know? So I was very right. nervous. Like, how am I, like, how am I talking to Imanab about this? Like, what's going to happen now? Like, you know, everything's like out in the open. Um, was there a sense of loneliness at that moment? Like, am I in this world all alone? Yeah. Probably deep down. Wow. Um, right. Because again, like our parents kind of are so much our anchor and our sense of stability and kind of yeah. when there's a, a, a breach in what we thought we knew, um, I, again, I, I just, I can't even imagine what, what, what that does to someone. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember like even later that night I had a, like, I had a 
some regents prep like class <laughs> like that night that I went to. Like I was like it was like after like a I felt like I just got bombed. Like I was like walking around <laughs> like I'm like I'm not really here, you know? Like I'm right. in this room, like with these people, but like my like I'm just like gone, you know? Right. Uh, I can't even describe like what, what emotion that is. I'm like in a wow. daze, like literally just like went to like a terrorist attack or something, you know? Wow, it's so heavy. So yeah. so yeah, you had a bunch of questions for your brother, right? Who are my adopted parents? My my who are my biological, biological parents? Uh, yeah. you know, why do they give me up? What were some of the other questions that that kind of were flowing through your head at that time? Um, when was I adopted? Uh, you know, like when when did I come into the family? Um, and did he have all those answers for you? Um some he had. Also, I asked where I was from, um, but he couldn't answer who. He didn't know. I mean, he couldn't tell me who they were, like who my birth parents were. That that he couldn't answer me. Um, and he told me the classic answer, like, "Oh, they couldn't take care of you." I mean, like, <laughs> you know, that's the answer. Right. I mean, that's, that's right. the answer still today, but it doesn't really right, mean but- anything. <laughs> Meaning you want to know you want to know why they couldn't take care of me or what was going right. on in their lives that exactly that, that drew them to that to that decision right so so all of this is kind of unfolding and you know again what's what's interesting about your story in particular because we're going to discuss perhaps what could have been done differently um, and again this is not an easy situation regardless um, yeah. and I think even in the best circumstances there's an element of all those feelings you described. Um, but there, but there may have been other ways, but what's interesting kind of about your case in particular is that as you're finding this out, you're, there's really no communication at this point of this story with you and your parents. No. Who again, meaning loved you to death and took care of you and gave you all the things and, and probably only held this back from you also because they loved you and because they thought it was in your best interest, which we'll discuss a little bit. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and they, meaning they didn't even know what to do, like once this kind of, this bubble burst, so they right. you know, just kind of like left the house at that point, um, yeah. which again, in such a moment, um, I think it, it's, it, it would be wrong for anyone to judge kind of that they could have done something. Yeah, better. yeah. So, so what happens next? In terms of what, like what should we... Like, like when, when do you kind of, yeah, when do you kind of first interact with your parents after so, now knowing that you're adopted? So my father came home first, um, is also like not so common. Um, and you're saying as opposed to them both coming together? Yeah. Or as opposed yeah. to your mother first? Um, no, I think it's like them coming together. Okay. Um, my father was definitely, I would feel like the one who had more handle on the situation than my mom. So like he was able to talk and so he was, of course he was crying. I was crying. Um, like he knew, he knew that I knew, like my brother told them that it's happening. So, and I, I gave him a hug and I said to him, like nothing's changed. (laughs) Um, You said that. I said that my wow. father still 
he tells me to this till this day he reminds me of that um you know we could talk about like, almost like um, almost like you were trying to comfort him in that moment yeah yeah exactly wow uh, um that's a whole nother podcast you know like everything's changed but nothing's changed like it's a whole um yeah and then my mom came and she was like you know, it was like very, it was kind of scary for me. Like she wrote, she wasn't really talking to me. It was very like, you know, I just became like a big source of her pain. You know, she, she was, she was really the one who, who didn't want me to know. Like she was, uh, right. she wanted me to be her kid. Um, and then whatever, the specifics don't really matter a hundred percent, but there was a bit of a fight, um, even at, within that hour or hour and a half. Uh, between my brother and my parents and my brother left and I'm home. <laughs> was that like, how could you have done this? You know, like you kind of messed it all up. Me or him? No, no. Meaning that I'm assuming that was more or less the, the, the details of the fight. Like your parents were upset at your brother yeah. for kind of sharing. this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even remember what it was. I don't remember what the words were. Honestly. Yeah. It took, I mean, it's still, that 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 was that was another trauma on the trauma and you know what what's interesting is that i think that this this story in a way is so instructive um and, and again i'm so sorry for your experience yeah and again i also want to frame that i don't think that there's a way where it's not painful yeah and i don't think that there's a way that it's not traumatic on some level but there are certain things kind of like as i'm listening that maybe could have been done differently or avoided in yeah. the time. And again, not to judge, right. but I think more to instruct yeah, others, 100%. you know, should they be in a situation like this? Yeah. 100%. Like what's the worst that could happen? You know, here, here's the worst that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I want to kind of only cause I want to try and get into your parents' mind for a second. Um, it, it's so interesting that you offered the nothing has changed, which almost in a way sounds like a request, you know, yeah. like, that I hope nothing has changed because you almost needed that. Um, and that would be, I think probably the best thing for a parent to say to a child, yeah. um, you know, in, in this scenario, kind of when they're breaking that news, yeah. um, that this doesn't change anything. Right. And all, all the things that you felt before that made you feel secure, safe, um, you know, and, and comfortable living in this world are not changing because, because we're not your biological parents. We're still your parents. Yeah. Did you did you get any of that in this moment? Yeah, my, I think my father definitely. Yeah, he definitely said that. I mean, I don't, I don't think I was able to hear it. You know, I was definitely definitely angry and definitely very confused at the time. So, you know, one of the things that's interesting is is in traumatic events, specifically like a single event trauma, which this may be a little bit more complex because it kind of impacts everything. But this particular moment. Um, you know, there's talk about the day after, right. You know, like kind of when you have to kind of deal with the reality that took place. Yeah. Um, and I'm so curious what that process was like for you of like, okay, this big bombshell took place. Um, and like you even pointed out, you had like a regents exam or review yeah. like that night. And I can't even imagine where your mind was, but it probably wasn't in AP bio or whatever it is. No. No. Um, how did, how, what was it like kind of continuing to move on despite knowing that you know your world is completely different so i mean a few things like i mean this is true for 
I guess the next, even the next year, the last year of high school. Um, I had very close friends. So, you know, that was a big help. Um, you know, my friend lived like five blocks away from me. Um, so that was my second home. Um, we played music together. So that was also like our outlet for things. Um, and in terms of the next day, I mean, I don't remember, you know, everything, but like I came to Shachar's the next morning and, and my Shiva and my friend goes over to the principal, like, and tells him like, you, you need to stick to like now. <laughs> so that was the beginning of a very good relationship. I don't even remember what we spoke about, but you know, just processing what had happened and, um, Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm thinking right now is that, and maybe you can kind of give me insight into this, is that friends are probably a the greatest support in this type of scenario, because whether you're adopted or not, that doesn't impact kind of your relationship with your friends. Yeah. It, it, it definitely does tie to your relationship with your family, because... Right are these really my family family is someone that I'm connected to biologically, at least the way we assume it based on, you know, the way the world runs, but friends has nothing to do with the fact that, okay, so you're not this and this person's child. I still like you. And I still became friendly with you because of the school you went to and the qualities that you have and the way we kind of interact with each other. So as you're saying this, like I I see that friends could be such a support in this process and in this trauma. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um, and also through the music, the music was also a very big thing, you know, <laughs> especially as a drummer, you know, there, there's a lot of tension that one could release through that yeah. instrument. Yeah. You know, any other instrument would probably break, but yeah, that's true. You know, one of the things that this brings to mind, I don't know if you've ever seen the Truman show. I've never seen uh, it, but I've heard of but, it. <laughs> I'm assuming the analogy has been made before, but like, again, you know, the Truman show I think is basically this person's living his life and really it's a, like a bigger reality TV show. Um, I don't really remember, but I I think that's the basic plot of it. Um, And then ultimately he kind of like realizes that everything in his life was kind of not, not true or not real. And again, those same thoughts that I would imagine are running through his mind are kind of, you know, in the real life version here taking place. Um, and again, I'm so happy to hear that your friends were able to be a support through that process. So let, let's perhaps kind of give, you know, an instructive lens here. Um, first of all, I, I kind of want to argue um, in favor of your parents because, you know, I had discussed this with you. Um, my, I actually do believe in my heart of hearts, and this may be controversial, but I believe that it is the best thing for parents who are adopting a child to not perhaps not have their child ever know um, that they adopted them. The, the only reason why I would disagree with doing that is because ultimately, or you can't guarantee that that won't blow up. Right. But, but if one could guarantee that they would never know, um, and again, this, this, this is at least what I'm thinking just from, you know, my mere own feelings, if someone can never know, um, again, true, true, it may not feel so authentic and things like that, but ultimately it spares this trauma of, again, feeling like my whole world is fake or reality and having to grapple with that. Again, 
However, I would likely instruct every single parent that they need to tell their child um, and how to do that because of the, because you can't control that. And it's not yeah. worth the risk of, yeah. uh, of doing that. Would you agree with that feeling? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the reality is you can't control it. So the reality is you have to, you know, you have to tell the kid. So. Right. And again, meaning no, no parent should take this as you see, it really is the best thing for them not to know. Meaning it's, certainly far less traumatic if someone never finds out. However, yeah. because you can't control that, the, the risk of not telling is too great and the trauma is far worse that you kind of need to take the, the lesser of the two evils as opposed to kind of gambling on, on a child's right. Um, security. Right. And also, I mean, I think the prevalent approach is to tell kids, you know, as early as possible. So, so, so maybe let's talk about that. What would you kind of instruct? What would you wish what do you wish was kind of done in your scenario and what would you instruct to parents who are adoptive parents that, you know, are trying to contend with whether and how to tell their children that they've been adopted? I mean, definitely have, you know, a psychologist or some competent mental health professional, you know, present. Um, and for, you know, therapy afterwards, um, just has to be in a very stable and calm setting. You know, it has to be done very sensitively. Um, no. Calculated. Calculated, yeah. And, and what, are, what are kind of some tips we discussed a little bit before, you know, like perhaps what should be said or how it should be said. But if you could kind of paint the scene of what that might look like or what you wish kind of could have taken place in your scenario, what, what would that look like, obviously, with hindsight here? I mean, I think, I think in terms of the age, I think that was, that was the, that was a good age. I mean, it wasn't a good age, but I think that was the best possible age to hear it. Um, I would have wanted, you know, everyone to be there, you know, like together and done it gently and, you know, like not like, you know, bursting, bursting at the scenes type thing. Um, and also, Right. Like someone who is confident and who is a professional to kind of like, you know, guide it and follow up and, you know, stuff like that. In terms of the age, I feel like uh, I don't, I think I would probably push for even earlier than that again, because there is an element of that sense of urgency. Obviously you don't want to do it too young where they may not know. Um, and I think they're going to be different voice about this. Some people, right, I think we were, were talking before this, um, you mentioned like as soon as the kid could talk, not towards evil and emotion, but like you're adopted, they may not know what that means. And it, and it may kind of like take yeah. away that trauma. So there is kind of that school of thought. Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, 11th grade is a lot of time for, again, that to kind of come out in other ways. And you kind of really right. want to beat that in a certain level. Right. I mean, for, I, I was a little bit, I didn't really understand the question. I'm saying for me, I think it was the best age. Um, for in general, I don't know, maybe 13, 14, something like that. Right. And I think also it's not necessarily a specific age, but also kind of like this maturity that my kid could handle this. Right. And also right. timing is of critical importance. Like you may not want to be dropping this type of news when your kid is struggling with something, um, you know, that could be passing, or, right. you know, like during a very, very stressful time, right? You got to right. try and yeah. pick the right time as well to, to share such news. Right. 100%. Okay. So um, in terms of reconnecting with your biological parents, 
Was that something that you've wanted to do? You've tried to do? Yeah. So from the beginning, I was, that was like, that was kind of like my pushback to the whole situation. Uh, give me more information and tell me more, give me stories, give me, give me something. Um, so I was always pushing my adopted parents really for information. Um, meaning they were, they knew, they knew my birth parents. I mean, they were there at the time of the adoption, so they had to have known them. Um, so, but they didn't, they weren't going to tell me who they were, um, for whatever reason. Um, and, but yeah, I was pushing for information. Like I told my father to, you know, send them letters. So, so you had asked, you know, who are they and things like that. And your parents, you know, they, they just said like, no, we can't give that to you. Yeah. I mean, they told me like where they live and, you know, is that something that they initially asked the adopt the, the biological parents? Like, do you want to one day be reconnected? Why did your parents choose to say, no, we're not kind of giving you that information. And also what was your reaction to that? Did that infuriate you? Um, it didn't really infuriate me. I think, I think they were, I mean, they were, they were nervous that I was going to go and, and, and like live with them, go to their house, like knock on their door. Like they they didn't live far from where I was. I was, I grew up in Brooklyn. They lived in Manhattan. Wow. So I think they were just nervous about that. So, so what information did they give you? Did they say like why they had you adopted? Um, same like mental issues, mental, I don't even know what they said. Something like emotional issues. Like they didn't give me specific. Gotcha. Um, and, and to this day, the, your parents kind of have not given you um, like a, a means to kind of reach them. I mean, no, I found out who they were within six months. <laughs> oh, wow. okay. So you mean you, you did it on your own. You had to be your own detective. Yeah. I mean, it didn't take much. I mean, I was also pushing for information. So, you know, you put two and two together and when I was ready, like I just, whatever, I had the information that I had and I went to a public library and I took out a phone book and it was over. <laughs> you know, I found them. So hold on, can, can you explain to me? Because I, I don't even know, like, if, suppose I was in that situation, I'm not exactly sure how I would figure that out. They live in Manhattan. Yeah, so, I mean... That's all the information I have, there's mental illness? I'll tell you how I did it. So basically, they, they told me their first name. That was a piece of information they gave me earlier on. My adopted, I mean, my adopted parents gave me my birth parents' first name. Um, mm-hmm. Then my father said, told me that meaning I was pushing, pushing, pushing. So they told me that my father told me that their name is something you're never going to get. Like you're never going to guess this name. Ah, uh, you're, you're playing, you're playing guess who over here. Yeah. And then I knew they lived in Manhattan. And then one time I was in the city with my father, we were going to see stomp, which is like a off Broadway play. Right. A, a drummer's paradise. Exactly. And we were on a certain street, I would say like East 14th street, whatever, however you say it. And I asked him, are we hot or cold to where they live? And he told me like, they live below this street. So now I had like 15% of the Island, you know, highlighted. 
at meaning and throughout kind of like throughout those that six month period you're, you're kind of like badgering like every here and there like to try and yeah okay got it and then the main thing that like that uh broke the straw that broke the camel's back was my mother she she slipped meaning i was pushing and pushing and pushing and we were talking about it by dinner and then she let half the last name slip wow at dinner so once I had all those pieces of information, I went to the library, took out a phone book, plugged in the first name, plugged in the last half of the last name, Area. and then looked at the address. And, wow. And that was it. Wow. That's- and I, I told my father, I mean, I was like, I was thinking, should I keep it for my adopted parents? Should I tell them? And I figured, like, I just, you know, I made the decision, like, I don't want to keep secrets and I'm going to tell my parents. Right. And I told my father, and he's like, "I would have, I thought you would have found it already." <laughs> You're only found it now. What well, took you so long? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't ready. I did it on my own pace. Right, that was right. also a big thing. Wow. Well, so now, now you have their, their, you know, their information. You have their number. So, do, do you reconnect with and them? Also, yeah. And also, we were sending letters. Meaning, I was sending letters through my father. Also, those first six months. Oh, okay. Wow. But then after I figured out who they were, then I just started sending the letters by myself. So, wow. um, so the letters, yeah, the letters were, you know, I just, I felt I didn't want to push too much with them. Cause I really, I didn't know what I was dealing with. You know, do you still have those letters? Yes, I do. I do. Wow. Yeah. There weren't so many. So, so can you give me a sense of that first letter that you're writing? Cause I, I just, again, like that to me, it sounds like the most, you know, like going to be the most raw emotional or, you know, like difficult one to put together uh, because there's so much uncertainty. Meaning the first thing I asked my father for, meaning even before I found out who they were was for a picture. So I got a picture wow. pretty early on of my birth father. Is there a resemblance? Yeah. Yeah. Who do you look like? Yeah. I look like my mom, like splitting image. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And in terms of the letters, I'm trying to remember what the first one, I think the first one was about music. Because I was telling them I'm a drummer and whatever, et cetera. So the one thing that he wrote that was very, he he said, um, he said, my first ambition since I was a child was to be a drummer, was to play the drum. Um, and he never learned, but he, like, he has a snare drum in his house and he plays it like, you know, that, however the music moves him. So that wow. was like, that was big. That's eerie. That's eerie. <laughs> that big deal. Yeah. It's also um, like meaning just like this element of nature, nurture, like all that is, yeah. it's wow. So yeah. did you, did you write like, meaning did you like break the news? You know, like, hi, this is your son. I think my, fa- my father did. My father did. So you, you didn't have to address that in your first letter you're saying? I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure they were, my birth parents were a little confused um, because there was contact like towards the beginning of my life. And then meaning not between me and my birth parents, between my adopted parents and my birth parents, Right. there was some sort of arrangement to like pictures or whatever. And then 
pictures back. And then, you know, when I was 16, like, start happening again. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what was said to them in terms of why that was happening. Gotcha. And, um, and what was their, like, response? Again, because from their point of view, like, okay, this is their first interaction with their biological child, um, you know, and it's 16 years later, 17 years later. Um, what did they write to you? You know, I know you mentioned something about the drummer, but like, you know, what else, even just maybe about the process a little bit, did they share that or not? Not really. No, it wasn't really about process. Like I kept, I mean, I kind of kept the letters very pointed, like pointed questions, you know, not too much probing. Right. I just, you know, I just wanted to know like, you know, where I'm from, like where's my music from? Like where is, you know, like where's our family from? You know, they're very like simple questions. So, so what did you learn from those letters? Basically my father gave his whole um, background, like his history. Um, and his father was a Holocaust survivor uh, from a family of, seven or something and like five of them six of them made it out um so that was his family like his father's family with holocaust survivors and then his mother died when he was like nine so that like he didn't really yeah he didn't really know so much and he had a difficult life and my yeah and my mother my birth mother was he didn't really say anything, which is another part of the story. <laughs> she she did not say anything. No. And he didn't say anything really about like where she was from or her upbringing or whatever. Right. Okay. Um, I, I think she said like he, she played music or something. I don't know. Um, no. So, so we're, we're, we're going to kind of get, get to that and why that's important um, soon. Did you ever meet your, your biological parents? So no, um, right before, meaning a year later, um, before I came to Israel, I sent them a letter asking them if they could meet. And they wrote back, I mean, a very weird statement, but like, we can't meet right now. Like as we have pressing matters to attend to, like that, that's literally what wow. they said. Um, so not really like such a normal response. Right. Um, so, yeah. Well, and what did you feel like when you got that response? No, I was very, I was very upset. You felt, um, you felt like a reject, like a rejection? Yeah. Like a rejection. Upset. I mean, yeah. You know, there, there's so many elements here that uh, again, are just, there's so many components here that I'm thinking about and, and just how difficult, you know, this process is and was for you. And yeah. kind of yeah. what, you, what you've been throughout, like it's a, it's as close to be able to speak to you, but like just what you're right. offering here is, is powerful. And for me, it's, it's so unique because I've never heard this perspective before ever in my life of what the ins and outs yeah. are. And, and I hope my, you know, the, the, the listeners as well, you know, like are, are gaining just from understanding what this lived experience is like and the hoops you had to drum through the emotional hoops, um, yeah, that are so critical to kind of like your sense of identity. Also, I feel I feel like mo- most adoptees stories are like this. Right, I, yeah. I know, I know. Like again, I, I'm 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 just like 
literally like jaw dropped just because I've, I've never heard an experience like this before. And, and again, I, I don't like other experiences I've heard of or heard about, but like all these details, I, I don't think I've ever even thought about that, you know, someone would go through something like this. Yeah. How did, so, so where do kind of things stand with you and your biological parents? Like after that message, are you still in contact with them? Um, do you still have a hope of connecting with them? Did you let them know about getting married and things like that? I mean, I could jump to like the most recent part of the story because that, that really answers that question. Okay, sure. Like this is the five-year update, like the past five years. So let me just I'll slow us down a little bit, um, but kind of before we jump there. Um, so, so maybe you can tell me, first of all, I'm curious about how your relationships changed after that. Let's say specifically with your parents um, or your brother. Did those relationships change? Was there always this elephant in the room, this tension, or were you able to get back to a place of stability, normalcy, your new normal? I mean, there, there was definitely an elephant, but we, I mean, we we're kind of talking about the elephant, you know, like my mother's like, I never want you to know. And I'm like, I needed to know this. And she's like, you were never supposed to know. Like that was kind of the elephant. Like things didn't really change so much with that. Right. But, but even, even that conversation, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that kind of like, there was finally like this expression of the reason why we didn't tell you. And I didn't want you to know is because I want, I never wanted there to be a doubt of how much I love you and how much I care about you. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Because I think that there is healing behind that, regardless of kind of what you've gone through to, to know that right. my parents did this because they were trying to protect me and give me the best things that they could, that life has to offer reinforces that idea that I do have stability and I do have people that care about me and I do have people I can rely on. Yeah. I mean, definitely at that point though, it was hard to understand, but now I, I definitely see that, you know, in retrospect. So that was with your, your mom. What about with your father? So with my father, I think, I think it brought us closer together. I mean, you know, also this made me more rebellious, but I think it also brought us closer together. Was there like a stage of rebellion after, you know, because like, I could do whatever I want anyway, you know, like nothing matters anymore. Yeah. You know, not, 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 I didn't really push like, Oh, like, you know, I could do whatever I want now, but, um, maybe a little bit, but not so much, Uh but, um, but just like more angst. Again, probably just that, that feeling of like insecurity, you know, like, so that's going to push us to do things and behave differently when we kind of just don't feel as settled as we did before. You told me, and I wasn't even aware of this kind of before we started this interview, that you're married with, um, with two kids, Kanai Nahara. Um, yeah. I'm always so interested about kind of how unique challenges play a role in the dating process. Um, maybe you could tell me a little bit about that. So I feel like, I mean, I don't really have so much insight on that question about the dating. Um, I just cause my shidduch process Baruch Hashem, was very easy. Did you meet, were you set up? Um, like, how, how did you guys meet? So we were, I mean, we, we were set up, but not like, not by a shot. I mean, not by like a real shot. Like we both had a mutual friend who had a mutual friend. Got it. So that mutual friend set us up. What was she the first girl you dated? No, like the third very early. So I guess in particular, what I'm, what I'm kind of curious about is how to tell someone when to tell someone. Um, again, I'm of the belief that obviously before you get engaged, you have to tell someone, 
but what that process looks like in yeah. terms of sharing and, and perhaps the insecurities that are involved with that. Yeah. So definitely do it before you're engaged. Uh, definitely agree with that. So, I mean, every, you know, every person didn't have to judge. I, I did it on the fourth date, you yeah. know, but I think that might've been a little bit of a, a little early. Uh, that's, I mean, not, it wasn't early for us, but that's, that's where we were holding at that point. Right. And again, I think, um, I think it's not about an age or a date. It's about the age right. of the relationship, meaning how mature the relationship is. Right. Yeah. You uh, have to feel comfortable. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the other thing, um, and maybe you could speak to it, is that it's so important to have processed this before you're sharing it. Because if you haven't processed this kind of before you're sharing it with someone else who's going to have a lot of questions because it's going to impact them, um, that's going to kind of bring up a lot of that trauma again. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. That'd be a really long engagement. <laughs> so, so can you share with me a little bit about how you told your wife and what her reactions were and things like that? I took her out for dinner. I guess that was step one. This, this was a dinner conversation. This wasn't just uh this wasn't like a, this wasn't a Dave and Buster's uh, piece of information. And I don't even remember how I brought it up. I mean, I think I just did it. Like I'm just the type of guy who just like throws it out on the table. So, and then, you know, the sharing just was more mutual, you know, like her asking me questions and, you know, getting more into it. And then, you know, her telling me something about, I forgot what it was, but it was definitely like a mutual type of sharing, you know, and she wasn't freaked out. And what, what, what did it feel like to share that with someone? Yeah, it felt amazing. It felt really good. And the reaction was really good. Yeah, I was very happy. Uh, a, a lot of how we feel about when we share something is very dependent on how it's received. Um, but but when we share something that is important to share, that's a burden on us, and it is received, there is such a feeling of relief. Um, you know that that it's hard to describe. Yeah, especially in like you know with the dating, you know, and you're looking for acceptance, right? after you like oh like now i'm accepted you're looking for acceptance and the thing you're most afraid of is rejection so it's it's like you know and and again this is why i'm so interested kind of like how all these scenarios impact that that key point um but but again like it's it's so nice to hear that that was something that was accepted for you and and i'm sure the sense of relief that came with that is, is is you know just beyond words yeah um, so your kids are young. Um, have you told your kids, yeah. have you, have you told your kids yet? There's, they're four and two. If I'm, if it's okay to share that. Um, I have not told them yet. I mean, maybe when he was like a baby, but he's not going to remember that. Right. Right. So. <laughs> right. You, whis- um, you whispered when he was eight days old. So yeah, just that you could say you told him. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts about sharing that with him? So I feel like, if there's the right place and if there's the right time, I mean, I'm, I don't think he needs to know before he's 15, you know, I don't think so unless something changes. I don't know. And, and, and also meaning it's, there's more of a sense of security. It's obviously not as traumatic news to know that. Like, yeah. Right. Because you're a real person and you are who you are. Right. right? It's just that you right. don't necessarily know your story. Okay. So let's, let's kind of go back to what you were going to say with kind of your, you know, where this, where the story speeds up. 
um, especially kind of with your interactions with your biological parents? So, uh, I mean, on the, the letter that we spoke about before, um, before I came to Israel, uh, meaning like them saying they couldn't meet and whatever else was in that letter. I mean, not like I didn't know this at the time, but that was the last letter I was going to ever get from him. Once I found out their name, like I knew the whole family, like just based on internet searches and whatever. Did you know, were there other, do you have other siblings? No, I don't. Okay. Do you, do you know who your aunts and uncles are? Like things like that? So, yeah, I only have, I really have one uncle and one aunt, the uncle, whatever. He died before I was born. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my birth father's brother. Um, that's a whole nother story. And I have, my birth mother has a sister who I'm now in touch with. Got it. So the, the last letter where you said, I'm going to Israel and I'd like to meet and your father wrote back, Yeah. you know, I, I can't, there's something pressing at the moment was the last letter you received. Yeah. And you mentioned that it's yeah. the last letter you will have ever received. Um, how do you know that is, did he pass away? So yeah, he, he did. Um, I mean, I'm going to get a little bit into the details. So around three years ago, I sent an email to a cousin, meaning one, like some, a birth, like my birth father's first cousin or something. I don't know. I, I was always feeling pushed and, you know, to like do something like that, you know, not, not to necessarily contact my birth father directly, but, you know, try to come from the side. So I sent him an email and I get an email back from my parents and I'm like, Oh, like your father passed away. Like, two, three years ago. Wow. Like meaning while, while I was in Israel, like, you know, five, six years to me being in Israel, he had passed away. <laughs> so whatever. I sat shiva for a half hour in my apartment and yeah. Wow. Um, and, and that, so I, I do want to kind of discuss at the end, you know, some of the halachic questions. And one of them was sitting yeah. shiva. The only reason why you sat Shiva yeah. for half an hour is because it happened years ago, but otherwise you right. would have sat a full Shiva, yeah. correct? Yes. Yes. If I would have found out the day of or the day after, I would have sat a full Shiva, full 12 months. Yeah. And it, and it's so interesting because, um, first of all, like I'm so sorry for your loss and I'm wondering kind of what that type of loss is like when you didn't really know someone at all. Um, yeah. but also I, 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 probably for other people who may know, um, you know, like I'm wondering what that Shiva would have even been like for a week. If you never knew your father yeah. who comes to visit and like, what do you share? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would have been pretty awkward. <laughs> the, the, the only answer to that question I feel is like, yes, you know? Yeah. What about that? So can you maybe take me in a little bit of what was that loss like for you? Um, and, and even sitting Shiva for a half hour, like what, what did you feel at that moment? I was definitely shocked. You know, I, I definitely thought, I thought I was going to meet him. You know, I thought you know, I was going to have that opportunity. So that was very hard. It, it's almost like what you were mourning was that, was that ability to meet him. Cause that was really all you had. Yeah. And, and do you say Kaddish for him? Like what, how does that work? Uh, yeah. On the earth side. Yeah. Wow. And what about your biological mother? Yeah, so that's kind of the next 
next part of the story. Meaning now I'm going to try and take it a little into the mental illness aspect and the mental issues. Okay. And, you know, they couldn't take care of me. Got it. And, and I'll, even before we get there, just in terms of like, did you reach out? Did they know about your milestones, like your wedding? Um, oh, that, that was actually a question I wanted to ask you, A, about your wedding. Like, what's going on in your mind? You know, your, your adoptive parents, did they walk you down the chuppah? Yeah, my adoptive parents walked me down. Yeah. A, a wedding itself is such an emotional experience, but I'm wondering if, if this kind of um, impacted your experience in any way. Yeah. Well, this is why I should have kept a diary. <laughs> this recording will be your diary in some level, you know, where people can look back and, yeah. you know, and see that because this is, you know, your first podcast appearance um, to hear kind of like your first reflections of what you remember. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I even reached out to them when I got married, which is like, I think that was like kind of odd. Well, you did, you did receive a message that said, you know, like we can't meet and it's, you know, like almost like this sense of rejection a little bit. Um, so maybe it was too scary. What about them finding out that you had kids? Did that, did that happen? No, no. Okay. So to no. now we'll go kind of go back to your, to your mother. Um, just to kind of get yeah. at that edge. So, I mean, really it's the continuation of, of after finding out that my birth father died, I got, you know, I got really hyped up. I got really like, you know, um, I wanted to push very hard. Like I need to find so, my, like, my mother. I need to find out what's going on. I need to find my mother. I need, you know, I need answers. So I got in contact with the like the funeral home, whatever, like, I don't know like whatever you call it. I don't know. They call it chapels. I think they call it chapels also for like in religious, like Jew, like Jewish circles. Right. Okay. Um, and very nice lady picked up the phone. Yeah. I remember him, whatever. And I'm like, Oh, who's like, who's on the file? Like who's the contact? So one was my birth mother and another person. So I said, Oh, if you could reach out to them, this person and tell them that I'm trying to, you know, I'm looking for them. So, and then I got a a phone call an hour later from um, this lady who is my aunt. (laughs) So, um, a lot of things came out of that conversation. Um, You know, you're talking about the milestones and, you know, she's definitely someone that I've been sharing milestones with. You know, she's kind of like in the surrogate, you know, birth family, mother, father thing. Um, so I got a, a bunch of answers about what the situation was with my birth father, my birth mother. Um, my birth father, he he's basically schizophrenic. Um, and before he died, he went out and he didn't come home. <laughs> That's basically what happened. And he, he, he killed himself. They don't know. They found him in the East river. They have no idea what happened. Wow. I think then that was the first time I understood what it meant, you know, mental issues, emotional issues. Like I didn't really know what those words meant until, you know, I got, you know, I understood what happened to him. I mean, we don't even know what happened to him, but, you know, very sad and a very unfortunate story. 
Um, it, it gave some context. Yeah. And in terms of my birth mother, basically her sister pays all her bills and, you know, pays her, like she lives in her apartment, meaning she lives in Florida, but she has another apartment in the city. And she pays all her bills. She lets her live in her apartment and she does not see a living soul. Like she does not come out of the apartment. She does not talk to anybody. And, you know, she has her own uh, emotional, mental package. Prior to your birth father dying? Yes, 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 yes. Wow. <laughs> yes. This was, you know, why, part of the reason why they gave me up, you know? I mean, probably the main reason. Wow. Um, and what was it like to hear that? It was, I mean, um, yeah, it was hard. It makes you grow up a little, you know, understanding that. Um, I was definitely very pushy with my aunt, you know, to see what was possible, um, you know, in terms of meeting my birth mother. And she made it very clear, like, you know, I wish I, wish I had a different answer, but, like, it just can't, it just cannot happen. Like she doesn't see me, she doesn't see anybody. Like how is like how is she gonna see you? You know? Right. Wow. Is there an element of closure there for you? So it's you know it's slow picking. I'm I'm trying. You know, I I part of me hope that it's not closure because I don't want it to be closure. You know, I want to meet her. Right. Um. But on the other hand, you know, getting a little bit clear. You know what I'm saying? Right. And what about your, your aunt? Have, have you been in touch with her? Have you met her? We haven't met yet. That was kind of due to like COVID and the world shutting down. Um, but we're in touch, like email. Meaning, I guess my question is, what, what do you kind of want to take place? You know, if you could write the script, what, what would kind of give you a sense of closure or... Yeah, what what do you think would make you feel better in this in this situation in terms of how close you are with your biological family? I mean, I just one 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 point of closure that I did get. Um, I was actually able to go to my to my birth father's Kevlar. Wow. Um, actually, when I was in America just now, and for Pesach. So, I mean, um. I didn't have so much prep time for that visit, but I'll say one thing. Like when I was at the cover, like something clicked inside me. I, I don't know how to describe it, but like standing there, like just something clicked. Like it says father, it says father, husband, like it says father. Right. And that's, you know, that you were the one who made him a father. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When you say clicked, does that mean like clicked in terms of closure or clicked in terms of like, I now have this picture somewhat like the piece of the puzzle has been completed. And maybe that's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Both. I would say both. Wow. Yeah. This is part of my, you know, like this was always, you know, before this is like the first, one of the first tangible meetings, you know, right. Sadly, wow. You know, and, you know, um, I would definitely want to meet my, my aunt. Um, just not sure when. You know, uh, and what is that? What is it that you want, kind of, from that relationship? Is it that you want to have a connection with them, or 
you want to get more of a sense of your parents through her? Yeah. So I think it's more of getting a sense of, of my parents through her. Definitely. Right. Like videos or things like that. Yeah. She's even sent me pictures and also just, you know, hearing how they grew up, you know, just hearing this, you know, email, like you can't, can't tell many, tell so many stories over email. You know what I'm saying? Like just to sit down, you know, and like, you know, they, they had the same parents. Meaning, I mean, this is another, another big stage uh, in the whole story, but they were both adopted. My birth mother and this aunt were both adopted. But they, but they themselves were biological siblings. No, we're not. Bi- no, they weren't. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That's the whole. Right. So, yeah. so this is a topic I did want to discuss with you. Um, and yeah. maybe kind of like we'll, we'll kind of close with these questions, um, which is kind of the area of halacha in general and potential halachic issues that can come up with adoption. Yeah, can we go there? Yeah, 100%. Okay, awesome. So um, it's, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with my rabbi yesterday about this just to, to try and get a sense um, because I, I was not sure, like I had seen in some places that it's better to adopt um, a Jewish child. And then in other places, I, I've seen that it's better to adopt a non-Jewish child. Um, and the, the way my Rebbe phrased it, but let me know if, if you have anything to add, is that when there's a certainty that the child is Jewish and you can kind of trace back the family of heritage, the Yichus, so then it's much better for the child to be Jewish. Um, however, if... The issue becomes that sometimes it's unclear. And so when you adopt a non-Jewish child, then you could do a conversion um, and there's no issue of mamzerus or things like that that could you know, impact the lineage. That's my basic assessment. Is there anything that you wanted to add on that? Um, no, that's, that's pretty much... I mean, wh- the, those cases are, are... You know, there's a lot of cases in between those two. You know what I'm saying? No. Can, that are, can you give an example? No, meaning you don't always know the Yichus. That's that's a right. You know that's also you know, yeah. Whatever adoption you're doing, you need to have a rav who's you know guiding you and helping you. That's all. You know, it's it's very there's a lot of halachas. You know, mamzeris and all these different things. Right. Um, and also geiras. Geiras is also a huge, huge thing. And then you know, so so these are these are definitely topics. I, I hope to. De- to like kind of cover in and of themselves. But I guess if I can kind of ask it, I don't know the best way to ask it, meaning is that yeah. the, the way that someone is Jewish is that their mother is Jewish, right? Now, because it's yeah. kind of so unclear about who your biological mother is um, and what her yeah. kind of background is, how did that impact your Jewishness and, and you know, what, what, what processes had to go for you? Yeah, so once I told my Rebbe that, um, when, when was this? He said we need to get. This was like three, four years ago, like even after I was married. Wow, after marriage. So, so yeah. So he said you have to do Gerus the Chumrah, um, and it's really it's based on a it's based on a, a of Rav Moshe. So um, uh, he's describing how the adoption agencies in New York, um, how they would you know help the people who were looking to adopt that the kid was Jewish just to, you know, sweeten the deal. You're saying for Jewish parents. Yeah. 
yeah, Jewish parents looking to adopt a Jewish child, he said that the organizations that were around at his time would just tell them that the kid is Jewish. Just Even though they to, weren't. You know, get the sale. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that the adoption agency he was referring to was the mother that my mother came from. I'm pretty sure. Wow. They lived in the same building, actually. They lived in the same building. Moshe Feinstein and my, my birth mother grew up in the, they were in the same building in the Lower East Side. Wow. So I'm so, pretty sure that, yeah. So it, it, yeah. it is very possible, and, and Baruch Hashem, you're 100% Jewish today, but that, that you weren't, yeah. let's say, more, more than three years yeah. ago. Yeah, it could have been. I mean, it's pretty crazy because my, my birth father, like, they're all Holocaust survivors, you know? Right, right, but really? but but you're not your mother's side. Yeah, right. Wow, we don't, we don't know. We don't. Right, know. right, you don't. Right, you don't, don't know, know that. Wow, that's a big yeah. deal. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really think about it. I just kind of did it. Right, you know, because I didn't really want to think about it. Right, you know, like I'm Jewish. Like I'm just getting this over with. And, right, you know, I got like I think I got I had my smicha at that point even. Or I was in the middle of getting my smicha or something like that. Right. <laughs> well, again, at this point, there really is no difference, and it's. uh you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. Baruch Hashem, you know, Kali Yisrael's gain. Um, and, and, you know, again, it doesn't really make a difference prior, but um, that, that is just, again, I, I think just another detail of this experience for you. Yeah. So, so what happens in a Geiris Lachamra? I'm not familiar with the process. Um, so they do a tough of Dam, which, you know. Okay, I'll just describe just for the listeners, right? They, they take a little bit of blood, like they just, area of the Brismila. Yeah. Right, just in case the addition. Yeah, and you obviously had a bris milah, you know, when you were when you were eight yeah. years old, because you were in a fully from home. I think it was more like six weeks. Or something. Yeah. Do they do they ask like, do you want to, or because it's lachumra, I mean, you don't really have that option. What do you mean? So I know in certain elements of, let's say, they knew for sure that someone was not Jewish, and they kind of at the age of thirteen they'll offer them to to convert, but they have to, you know, halachically are required. Give them a choice. Yeah. But I'm assuming when it's Luchamra, yeah. they don't do that. Yeah, as you, I don't think they did. No, right. they didn't. I don't think they did that. Gotcha. So that meaning all it is is Hatafas and what, you go into the mikvah? Yeah, you go into the mikvah, yeah. And is there like a bracha or because it's a suffix, you don't do a bracha? No, you don't do a bracha, but they say something. They say something to you when you're in the mikvah. Wow. And, whatever mitzvah is, yeah. And what were you feeling kind of like throughout this process? Again, like it, to me, this is just another layer. And not everyone has this experience, obviously, because you know, yeah. there's a better sense of tracking. This is avoided. But meaning what, what, what right. was this experience like for you emotionally? I, like I said before, I didn't really think about it too much. It was, you know, definitely wasn't, wasn't so bishmak, you know? Right. It wasn't so comfortable. It wasn't so nice. Right. Um, uh, it wasn't so spiritual for me. I mean, I wish it, I wish it was more, but, right. you know. I mean, it, it, I don't like, know if this is helpful or not, but, like, that that rededication almost in a level, um, you know, like, not that we know what gives HaKadosh Baruch Hu Nachas Ruch 100%, but I can imagine that just with everything you've gone through um, and that ability to say this is kind of what I want and this is, you know, I'm already a rabbi um, and kind of that, that opportunity to rededicate ourselves, which all of us need to do at different points in our lives. Um, but this was in a very tangible um, way where yeah. you were sacrificing yeah. your body and you were sacrificing your mind and you were sacrificing every element of your body. Um, and, and I can only imagine the, 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 the that that gives the Ramon Shalom. Yeah. 
No, I appreciate that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. This has been such a heavy episode. Um, there are a couple more questions that I wanted to address and then we'll wrap up. Um, so we mentioned sitting Shiva. Um, originally the way I wanted to discuss it was really the reverse, meaning you, you said you sat Shiva for your biological parents, but I'm wondering, um, for your adoptive parents, they should live to 120. Um, I had, so, I mean, actually my, yeah, my, my adoptive mother actually passed away two years ago. I, so I have, I have some experience in that also. So first of all, I'm, I'm so sorry about your loss. Um, and again, you know, any loss is difficult. Um, and this is again, yeah. just it, it kind of perhaps brings back some of these feelings that you're contending with. So, so what was the halachic, um, guidance in that regard? Do you sit Shiva? Do you speak Kaddish? So, is it a preference? How does that so work? My post said, do what you feel, you know, like, I mean, I felt everything. I felt like she was my mother and I sat Shiva, I said Kaddish, um, Kriya, like, I did everything. Right. And it's not like meaning, I guess there's not like a bracha that would be, you know, contending with other issues against it. It's more mm. meaning. No. And so you sat Shiva and wh- when you were sharing, let's say over Shiva, um, you know, like, did it, did it come up? Did you share, you know, like, and she even adopted me, you know, like those types of things. Like how did, how did that background kind of play out? I don't think I spoke about it so much. I think I focused, more on her life also because like people you know people didn't really know some people knew and you know if the people knew then i you know i would talk about it right um and and meaning you you view your adoptive parents as as your i don't know if the correct word is primary parents but like these are your parents yeah yeah 100 wow um just yeah one thing that's very interesting actually the the yard site of my birth father and my mother are the same day. Wow. 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 Like that was, that was a sudden, you know, you know, telling me something, you know, right. That's, that is like, I don't, I don't know what that means, but it's, again, it's like when you're looking for signs, you'll see them coming up in a few weeks, both of the Nisham Hashem and Aliyah. Mm. What about the halachos of Nagia and Yichud? Um, so, so here also, maybe we'll just give a little bit of background for our listeners and I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think that, you know, most contemporary post game hold that we have to be careful about Nagia, which means like touching and hugging and things like that. And I would imagine that that's extremely difficult, um, as well as concerns of Yichud in terms of being alone in the house together with an opposite gender. Um, do you want to, is there anything I, I don't, am I off base? And also I'm just curious kind of like um, how that's navigated. Cause I would imagine that that's incredibly challenging um, both emotionally and practically in terms of, you know, this is my mother and this is who I treat as my mother, but like, can I give her a hug and be in the house alone with her? So, I mean, I don't know if we were more of a modern Orthodox family, but this was not, this was not an issue. You know, I mean, my parents did not, you know, this is not an issue. Also, because I didn't know. So, right. Um, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure there's a, there's an opinion who holds that if the kid is is with the parents from when he's time of baby, that he can be mako. Right, and, and I would imagine that this is an area where, again, everyone should obviously ask their their own rub, um, 
because this is such a challenging question, but I would imagine this is an area where a leniency like that would probably be relied on just because of, again, the emotional toll that that could right. ultimately impact. Yeah. 100%. I guess my question is meaning like, if you spoke to other adoptees or adopt parents who are adopting and, you know, like this issue, which ultimately comes up, kind of came up, um, you know, what would you kind of tell them? And again, maybe um, that cheat is a, a good one to be aware of. Yeah. I, I don't know what I, I mean, honestly, I've been, I've been trying to get into these, you know, these discussions and these figures and very hard. I, I, you know, I don't have a clear cut answer either way yet. Hashem clearly wants us to, you know, I think he wants us to do this type of chesed with other people, but at the same time, there's the use of things, so it's a little confusing. It's certainly confusing, and, and, you know, one of the things that I think is important, kind of like, when we ask our shilas, is not, am I allowed to or not, but like, what is the ratzon Hashem, right? Meaning, what right. what is it that Hashem wants us to do? Um, and sometimes it's not clear, because you have real competing values that are true values in, in Yiddishkeit, right? Meaning this idea of, you know, Gidre Arias. And then at the same time showing love and compassion, um, those it's very, very tricky and hard and you really need the proper guidance when these issues come up. Someone who really understands both halacha as well as human nature and sensitivity and, you know, one's emotional and social well-being. To, to be able to guide through the yeah. process. Yeah, 100%. But I know, I know that opinion. I know that there's an opinion like that. Right. Okay. So I'm, uh, I'm happy to hear that. And, yeah. and, and maybe you can uh, send it to me after. I would love to, to read it. For sure. And what about getting called up to the Torah? Um, you know, things like that. I know like by Exuber, things like that. Um, so meaning in, in your sense, you know, there's another kind of variable of the Geras Lachumra that's involved. Um, but even in a, let's say a scenario where that wasn't the case. So you have a biological father and then you have an adoptive father. So a, I'm curious kind of how that played out in your case. Um, you know, do you go by Ben Avraham or by some of the other names? Um, and then also kind of what's done in, in other scenarios. So I was, I was called up by my adoptive father's name. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I've seen I've seen things that are to be made for, but I'm not I'm not sure that that's something I haven't looked into so well. Right, and, and again, that's such a it, it kind of goes back exactly to that other point that we just mentioned, which is like it can't just be oh this is what it is. You have to kind of factor everything in and all of what that means to to contend with this issue properly. I mean, the, yeah, the ksuba definitely had to be there was it said there's a little a very uh, different wording that like barely noticeable um which was, was which was done of your biological father no it was they said uh, no they called me they said i'm called this and this name uh-huh. they, they didn't say this and this name they said it's called this and this name gotcha so even though the garris took okay. afterwards that's probably already like this is also just fascinating in terms of the halakhic element um that's enough meaning because this is what your name is this is what you're called by yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and what yeah. about for other people, like just in other scenarios that you may be aware of? I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm really not so aware. Right. After, you know, trying to find more adoptees. Right. Wow. Okay. Um, also two questions that I forgot to ask. Number one was um, in terms of your actual, your, your, 
your adopted parents, um, kind of like what was the, the reason for, for them um, choosing to go ahead and adopt. That's number one. And then the other thing, just because it was like so crazy, the, the whole idea with the Geras, um after you were already married, did you have to do a, you know, like a Kedushin again, meaning did you have to, you know, get remarried, so to speak, um, as part of that, you know, after the Geras? Yeah, as for the first question, uh, my parents had, I mean, second child infertility. Um, so, you know, they went through a seven-year process um, after my brother, and they came to adopt me. And the second question, I did a, yeah, we did, we did something like just a, you know, very simple type of condition. Like, she didn't even need to be there. She's just like needed to be on the phone and then I had to give her a gift and there had to be two witnesses. That was it. Just a Kenyan Sudar in front of two witnesses. First of all, thank you so much for your time. And I know like, because this was kind of your first time telling over the story, um, you know, I, I may have kind of gone to places or pushed you in places um, that you've not gone before or considered. And, and, First of all, I, I hope I didn't push in any of the wrong ways or was insensitive. Um, and also, thank you so much for sharing and opening up with us. No, it was great. Thank you. Okay, so let's let's kind of go to our wrap-up questions, which I ask all my guests. What would you say are some of the misconceptions people have about um, living as an adopted child? You had a happy life. You had parents who loved you. Like, get over it. Like, we didn't even get it, you know? Like, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Get over it. Yeah, that is a huge thing. Meaning um, you, have, you have parents who love you and they're giving you everything you need and they're here to support you and they treat you as if you were a child. Like, what is the big deal? Yeah, why rock the boat? Why do you need to find your birth parents? Like, all, you know, all those types of feelings. Wow. You know, why do you need to explore this? Um, I mean, the prevalent view in the adoption community is that when the adoption happens it's a trauma so like you can't overlook trauma like you have to you know face it right at some point face it process it and, and kind of come at peace with it right wow yeah. i mean i think especially in the jewish community you know the you know pushing stuff under the rug is a thing that we're pretty good at so so that's like the sentiment that i've, I've gotten even from other adoptees i've gotten that like, you know, also like it's, I feel like it also comes from a place of like, it's hopeless. Like, what are you trying to gain? Like, what are you trying to gain with your birth parents? Like, you're trying to make up for like years and years of lost relationships. But I think, you know, there is a value for the adoptee to go and, you know, make his own path and find his own way and, you know, try to find his parents. And also there's, there's again, a lot of identity with who you, where you come from. Um, and so part of understanding who we are, you know, I, I could understand that, that human tendency to want to, in order to understand who I am, I need to know where I come from. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What would you say is the hardest part of your challenge? Maybe a most difficult moment or just something that you currently still have to live with? A few things. Um, I definitely, I mean, even growing up, I was very prone to anxiety. Um, very prone. And it's something that I'm still dealing with every single day. Um, I think 
the adoption story and finding out that I was adopted definitely made things worse, you know? Right. Because um, I kind of feel like I'm always ready for the, for the worst thing to happen, you know? So being always ready for the worst thing to happen, it's like, you know, like every day, it's not really the best place to be in. You know, like you're always expecting the worst you know, the worst probability. Meaning the way, the way almost like the trauma has impacted your anxiety um, is something you yeah. contend with. What would you say you've learned from your challenge? What has it taught you about life? I mean, it just made me a more open person. I, I mean, I say to people that like, you know, one of the main catalysts for me coming to Israel was finding out that I was adopted. Um, meaning I just, my life was penetrated in a way that like, you know, doesn't happen to most people. And, you know, I felt like if Hashem could do like this, something like this to me, like, like there must be like something going on. Like these things just don't happen to people. So it, it I mean, it made me more mature, um, more, you know, able to listen and able to relate to people. You, you were thrown into a world where you had to mature. Um, and so, you're, you're kind of forced to be years ahead of maybe where you otherwise would have been. Yeah. 100%. What, what can people yeah. do to help someone who's going through this challenge, whether it's adoptive parents um, or an adopted child. And I, one of the things that I really love that I learned from this episode is how important a role friends play because of that security and stability that they, they can give someone who's been adopted. Um, but, but maybe other things that, we haven't thought of yet. I think one of the main things is to just let the adoptee, I mean, even for adopted parents, let the adoptee describe his experience, like him or her, let them describe their experience and validate and just be open to hearing it. You know, don't come in judging, you know, just come in curious and come in trying to understand. Right. And, and also don't try and, and kind of like brush it away. Right. Meaning like, let's not talk about that. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. this is something we should avoid talking about. Um, it, it might be a lot yeah. healthier to allow the person to describe how they feel about their experiences and confront it. Yeah. And also, and, and don't think you're always going to understand it, you know? Right. That's also a good point. You know, don't think you know what they're saying and then, oh, I know this is an I can solve their problem. Right. Like, that's probably not the case. Wow. Anything that you feel that we missed or didn't cover in this episode, and we we definitely covered a lot. A lot more to cover, but <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot more to cover. We can't cover it, but but topics that maybe we'll have to come back to another time. Yeah, I don't know. I have to make a list. I'm not... <laughs> okay, you let me know. I can't think of it now. And um, j- yeah. j- just in closing, if you could speak to other adoptees, and and I, you're actually trying to gather as many adoptees as you know. Um, and I, I will post, I know you made a WhatsApp group. Um, I will post that in the show notes as well. So that there's almost like a community where you guys can support each other. Um, and I would love to kind of like find more, more stories and, and really hear more. Um, but what, what is a piece of physic that you would give to other adoptees? Um, something that maybe was powerful for you to hear and helpful for you to hear that you can share with others. I think just, um, knowing that you're not alone and there are a lot of people going through this just like you are and you know you could be understood and you could be heard you just have to find the right 
avenues and the right people. Um, another, I guess, point of chizuk, uh, something that I don't 100% understand, but it seems that Hashem really, really, really loves orphans. So that is just something, you know, to take to your heart and to, you know, when you dive in or, you know, when you talk to Hashem, you know, use that to, use that to your advantage. And, and takes care of them. Well, thank you so, so much for, for coming on and sharing your story. And I've learned really so much from your experience. Um, and, you know, I hope to kind of continue the, the relationship forward. Thank you so, so much and uh, all the best. Pleasure. Hey, everyone. We hope you gained from this show. If you did, please subscribe, share, and leave us a five-star review. It really helps get our work out there. If you or someone you know would like to appear on the show to represent a particular challenge, or if you have questions or comments, email us at rollingwiththepunchespodcast at gmail.com. To partner with us or to sponsor an episode, you can also email us at rollingwiththepunchespodcast at gmail.com. This show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to submit your questions for upcoming episodes. A quick disclaimer, all information exchanged on this show is intended for educational and support purposes only. This information should not be considered treatment or medical advice. You must always follow your medical professional's advice and direction. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified mental health providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental disorder. A quick thank you and a big shout out to Joey Newcomb for letting us use his song, You Fall Down, You Get Back Up.